Hello and welcome to episode number three of Confessions from the Witness Box, where I'm very lucky today to be joined by Wendy McLaughlin, who was described in 2018 as awesome on the delay side and delay superstar in Who's Who's Legal. So welcome very much, Wendy. was guest from the uh, initial description that you are currently a delay uh, and planning expert and started out your career uh, with Arabs. I did. So I did civil engineering as an undergrad. And was that at Melbourne University or was this civil engineering at Reading? Uh, it's at the University of Queensland. Sorry, Queensland. Yes. So, so civil engineering at Queensland, and then you have construction project management at the University of Reading. That's sometime later. That was a lot later. That was when I had dreams of being a project manager, but then realized how difficult that role actually was. So I did that. Um, I had this crazy commute from a site about four to six hours north of Manila back to the University of Reading once every three months to do a lecture week um, and come to the UK. And then somehow I got to Reading for the lectures and did that. Before I started it, someone from Arab says, whatever you do, don't work overseas while you're doing this course. <laughs> so <I'm>, uh, <laughs> two weeks later, I was on site in the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> and were most of your early appointments actually on site? Because it looks like you had some amazing uh, roles when you were working with, with our, you know, the, the Philippines, uh, other major highways throughout Malaysia, um, some, some yeah. pretty amazing projects. Yeah, so I was with them for 11 years. So I joined Arabs so I could get out of Australia and work overseas. So I worked in the UK. I worked in Australia for three years and worked on mainly domestic projects, but we looked after the PNG office as well. So I got to work on projects up there, but I was never allowed to visit because it was too dangerous. Um, and then I went to England, still on the design side, and worked on some of the, the huge arch bridge in Stratford in Manchester and then moved into project management group and then industrial projects and then got sent to the Philippines because I said I could use Primavera when I couldn't. Uh, and I learned it in about four <laughs> hours before I got on a plane and went to the site as a planner. So previously you were using things like Astra or Project or back to Excel? Well, I'm old. So there was a piece of software called Schedule Publisher within the Arab group when I was working on a... Um, a bank refurbishment of a bank building in central London and they needed something called an extension of time assessment to do it. So I was in doing contract admin and basic design, um, design management coordination. So I did this kind of exercise looking at some of the issues a contractor had, had raised and I kind of bucked around with this planning software and learned how to use it and then probably made a hugely incorrect assessment of extension of time at the time <laughs> um, in the contract admin role. Um, but then it got me, that got me kind of aware that these planning packages existed and used this software. <laughs> so uh, our project management had Primavera capability. So I called them up and um, had a very uh, intense learning session before I got to my partial role as a site planner. And, and, the, and then flying from England out to Malaysia must have been a bit of a change and definitely somewhere more pleasant to be than, than London in um, in the winter. 
Oh, that was why I went. I, I think I went in November 1997 and I was I was approaching my third UK winter and I thought, I can't take another one. I've done two. I can't do another one. I'm out of here. Uh, but, yeah, it was, one of the, it was one of those life-changing decisions you don't know is going to be life-changing. So life-changing as in having been to the Philippines and worked in Malaysia, uh, you then moved into uh, delay analysis and forensic analysis with, with Picavance. And was that back into London? That was back into London yes so my journey was on site in the Philippines I did some planning I did some field engineering 50-50 mixture of both I then went on the next project to Malaysia where I did mostly civil engineering planning or whole whole project planning as well as subcontract placement then I went back with this EPC contractor to their office in the UK and I was there for a couple of years and then I kind of saw this job advert for a delay analyst and that EPC contractor had asked me to compile a hospital program so I'd been down in the basement kind of playing around with records and putting them into a Primavera database and they said will you go and do that we'll go and appoint the delay expert and I was like well who's that and they said Keith Pickavance I was like well who's he what's he gonna do and they sort of explained it and I went oh well I could do that and then I saw the job ad and I applied and that was 2003, 17 years ago. So totally unplanned. And was it when you were at um, a pick events that you would have met Paul Barry? I met Paul Barry at Navigant afterwards, yeah. You met Paul Barry because pick events was bought by Navigant, I think, earlier on. No, they weren't. They were bought by Hill. Um, but I left oh. uh, just before that acquisition. So I went to work for Navigant. That's where I met and Mark. Th- and then having met... <laughs> Of course, Mark Mills, yes. Yes. And then and I haven't also met Paul Barry. You've now uh, joined GB Squared, which is uh, yeah. the firm that Paul left, sort of formed when he left Navigate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, where you've now been there for two years. So congratulations. Thank you. On those last two years. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And luckily now based back in Australia rather than... Um, in London this time. I am based in London. I was in London in March and I thought, mm, better go see this out somewhere else. <laughs> the team is largely based in London or are you also using people based out in America at the moment? Uh, we're everywhere. So there's a team in London. There's a team in Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. There's a couple of people in Perth and there are individuals scattered around the globe, including people in America, um, Dubai and in Romania. So proving it Mm. never really mattered where you are. Well, I think at present with the whole um, pandemic, it's been proved more than ever that actually so much of, of our work can be done uh, wherever you are, yeah. as, as long as we have a good, as long as we have a good internet connection. Yeah. So I like to think the world caught up to me because I've been doing working this way since two thousand and eight. <laughs> <laughs> at the point at which we're in a tier. Tier four, no, tier five now, tier five. lockdown. Tier five, um, yeah. Tier, tier, tier five lockdown, that, 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 that is extremely attractive. And, and at present, you're working on some of the, the largest, probably some of the largest construction disputes in the world. Um, just absolutely mammoth projects. Still a mixture, though. I, I like to keep a mixture of the smaller ones and the larger ones. I think you need to stay grounded in the smaller ones and not get too caught up in the large, glamorous mega projects. So yes, it's a it's a mixture across the board. Mm. 
and and the difference with regards to the kind of interaction with the lawyers and the expectations between the small ones and the big ones it is it, what's what's your experience of uh, bouncing between the two the expectations on the smaller ones are often higher <laughs> given the information available <laughs> and the time available to do these things, um, which is why I like to keep doing them. I think it keeps you sharp um, and it keeps you from not kind of the big ones you have sort of generous timetables. I think you still need to be able to react quickly and come up with an opinion in a, a short space of time based on the information that you have. Um, mm. Yeah, the law firms are kind of very different. The big jobs tend to have, although it's not always the case, larger law firms, um, but that is, that is you know, not always the case. But, yeah, it's not much. I mean, but day-to-day actually doing it, it's, it's, it's not that much of a difference with there to look at what was supposed to happen, what actually happened, and what are the reasons for the differences. Yeah. I think you're right. There is a question or there is an issue, though, in regards to availability of data and then sometimes the expectation of what you can produce with it, where on some of the smaller projects there is virtually nothing mm-hmm. and a great a great expectation from someone that, that there's an actual case here and an actual um, view to be formed. That's um, right. That's right. But even on the big cases, you know it's there, but it might take you a long while to actually get what you know should be there. Yes. And, and, and then there's always a danger that on the bigger cases, the reports just seem to run on forever. Mm. God, knows. God knows who reads these things. It's where the joint statements then become the same length as your report. Uh, joint statements, I think there's, I think the joint statements are really important. And I think the play, the, the, where they fall in the procedural timetable can have such a difference on the reports, so particularly if you have someone on the other side who really understands the purpose of the joint statement and our role and our duty to the tribunal. They can be a really useful tool to narrow down those mm. issues early on and just clear out a lot of the white noise that often comes with with delay. Yes. So bringing back around then briefly, well, now we're back onto arbitration, when was your first arbitration and how was your first experience? My first testimony was my birthday on in 2008. Um it was the perfect starter arbitration. I was not in the box for very long. It was a Friday. Everybody, it was the last day of the arbitration. You know, everybody had overrun. There was very little time left for delay and quantum. <laughs> and I got called down and I wasn't, I don't know why I wasn't expecting to be on, but I had some champagne and cake in the Navigant office and then got the call, come down, <laughs> come down to the IDRC. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you'll be on in the afternoon. Okay, fine. I was all ready, I was prepped, ready, went down. And the barrister who was calling me was Marcus Tavenor, who I'd never actually met face-to-face. So yep. he grabs me and pulls me into the, the one of the rooms and says, right, how are you? I said, oh, it's fine. I said, oh, it's my birthday. Oh, oh, should I tell the tribunal that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's my first time. It's not your first time. And he goes, hmm. And he goes, right, um, have you eaten? And I said, what? He said, what? I said, yes. He said, what have you eaten? I said, champagne and cake. He's <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was fine. I got asked a couple of questions. I answered the questions, and that was it. And it was over. Um, so yeah. I got to say that I had testified. And it was actually about um, – 
a year gap to my next one. Uh, my first appointment was very early on, about in the second year I was doing this sort of stuff, uh, but it was a it was a court case, but it um, settled. So, yeah, I don't get that much court work in the UK. I get a few in Australia and one of those has gone all the way to hearing and here you do um, concurrent evidence. So you are sitting in the witness box with your opposite number next to you, not knowing where the question is going to come from. It could come from opposing counsel, your counsel, the other expert, or the judge. And it's exhausting. Yep. And it's, it's days long as well. It was three days long. So that's my my one experience of um, giving evidence in court. It's a, a t- totally different experience. <laughs> three-day-long hot-tubbing yeah, session. Yeah, a three-day-long hot-tubbing session. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> exhausting. That 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 sounds pretty horrific. Mm. That was the Court of Western Australia, but the concurrent evidence is quite common in the other states mm. as well. It's it's efficient. It is efficient. It was efficient. It was probably more efficient than cross-examining me and cross-examining him and then having a, a, a witness conferencing. But my opposite number, yep. he had he was doing the delay and the quantum. So after the three days of delay, he then had to sit there again and then just do the quantum with no break. So that was pretty impressive. That, yeah. Uh, what's your longest period that you've had by yourself sat alone in the middle being cross-examined? In an arbitration, I think the longest time has just been a full day, you know, from the, yeah. the previous day, partway through a day to overnight to, to the following day. The arbitration cross-examinations haven't been that long. They do tend to be... Is shorter. I think I've only had one that's kind of got up towards the two days, but I've had a few that yep. have been um, one one full day. We've then been sat in Perda overnight, which is I love it. I love it. No <laughs> one can come near you. It's great. Like I, I can have a bath in a, in a hotel. Like being in Perda is great. <laughs> it's, just, it's just me and my stuff. Love it. <laughs> yeah. It's this time, you're absolutely at the beck and call of every barrister, lawyer, and anybody else in the hotel. That's right. That's right. I was in Singapore one time, and my um, assistant was in the hearing as well because I like to have them there so that they observe and they know why I am so, why I, how I am about what is in the reports. Yep. Um, it's a great experience for them as well to be physically there as opposed to just reading reading the transcript. Anyway, this person, I was in Perda, so off I went. And um, I didn't couldn't talk to him until after my the hot tubbing had finished. So, and it, he looked really tired. I, I said, "Oh, you were terrible." He goes, "Oh my god!" Like I had to stay there until midnight, and they asked me to do all this stuff, and <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's your future <laughs> if you want to do this. Yep. He said, "What did you do?" I said, oh, "I went to the hotel, had a bath, you know." <laughs> Yes, absolutely. But I, I have had a very strange arbitration in a hotel in Chile um, and I was a tribunal appointed expert and I kind of knew it was going to be a bit disorganised so I took all my own bundles, like folders and folders yep. and and my suitcase was one of the biggest suitcases I had, full of paper, which was a good thing because there were no bundles. So I turn up and I'm a tribunal expert and, of course, no one wants me to sit on either side of the room. Nope, she can't sit here, she can't sit there. 
I'm kind of looking at the tribunal secretary going, where am I going to sit? Yep. He says, oh, you can sit next to the translation booth. So I'm like, okay. So I had this tiny, tiny table <laughs> with a laptop with the transcript in Sp- live transcript in Spanish, live translation into English. And then all these folders on the floor. It was just, it was, I couldn't move. And then when I had to get up and give my evidence, it took me like, you know, a minute to extricate myself from my chair. But the funny story is that throughout that hearing, a member, the chairman of the tribunal, vaped the entire time. (laughs) To the point I asked him at the end of it, because I was last, and I said, excuse me, sir, can I take your picture? Because no one will believe me <laughs> that you <laughs> faked throughout this hearing. And then he kind of posed <laughs> this picture for me. So, yeah, that was one of my more bizarre, bizarre experiences. So your best location then, do you think, for an arbitration? Where's been your favourite place for, for a hearing? I don't know if I have a favourite place. Um I the Singapore Maxwell Chambers are certainly the coldest place and I have been cross-examined and shivering and had my cross-examiner ask me, would you like me to ask your instructing solicitors to give you a jacket? And I said, no, I will get one in the break. And I didn't have one in the break. All I had was my winter coat from London. So I sat there in my winter coat in Maxwell Chambers being cross-examined for half a day um uh favorite hearing venue i think i have some like non-favorite members i hated the idrc i just thought it was like the worst most poorly designed um, place to have a hearing as well I haven't been to the new one. I was to say, he, I was to say that there's the new ones now, which are absolutely amazing. So. Well, it's needed. I think that's a very welcome addition. Um, Maxwell Chambers, apart from being freezing cold, is a pretty good venue. It's yep. well organised. There's lots of, you know, you can walk out and get some hawker food if you want to. Um, yeah, I think that's good. Where else? Had one in Johannesburg. Oh, that was a bizarre one. That was in some kind of pharmacology museum. In a museum for the hearing. Yeah. It was in a room in a museum, but a very, very long room. So you were the people down the other end of the table. There was clearly like the business end of the room up with the sole arbitrator and counsel and the witness. But then the further away you got, the more fun they seemed to be having. And there was practically a party going on down on the the other end of the room. There was clearly good banter between both sides of contractor and employer at the kind of witness level down the other end of the room. (laughs) I was like, oh, they look like they're having much more fun down there than I am up here. I was in a hearing recently, and one of the lawyers um, on on the other side had a had a folder of notes um, and and a bundle for each for each um, um, expert as being cross examined, and on the front of each bundle, so she could remember who which bundles for which experts she had a picture of a minion and each minion picture was in a slightly different pose and and I, I, I noticed quite early on that she had this different folder for each, for each person there was a different minion and I, I was desperate to try and work out which one I was and at which point when it finally came to me I had a picture of a minion that was looking slightly sad sat on the toilet it's like the most <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most depressing thing you could possibly receive when you sit down in the middle <laughs> 
Oh, how appropriate. The quantum is in the toilet. The, that is the, funny. The, the, the quantum was... No, no, on the toilet, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say, but there we go. <laughs> it's probably worse. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. But, well, I think the thing is, though, that, the, that these, um, that these hearings can become quite long for, for, for the lawyers, and by the time you've been there for weeks, people do tend to slightly... Um, uh, relax towards the ends. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they do it. I mean, for me as an expert, I just am constantly in awe of both the tribunal and counsel because they're there for the duration and it's intense. All I have to do is turn up for four hours, eight hours, a couple of days, and that's yep. it, in and out, done. And I'm shattered. I mean, I take days yeah. to recover after giving evidence every single time. Yeah. I go in, I'm shaking, my heart rates up, and I come out, and I'm like, yeah, and my adrenaline's going for about <laughs> 30 minutes, and then I'm just drained, and <laughs> I'm a mess. <laughs> I have to Absolutely. plan my post-hearing days where I don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you had any fun experiences where um, the factual witnesses who, of course, come before expert witnesses normally will stand up and say something which then completely throws a spanner into large swathes of analysis and and opinion? Um, I did have one. You always know when the other side have scored a goal because uh, I, I did have one, I think it was in yeah, 2019, where they said, and this issue had no effect on this, did it? And the guy just went, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No, thank you. No further questions. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which, um, yeah, it wasn't great for us. He was actually a very good witness, really capable technical guy, completely had the respect of the tribunal on every issue that he talked about. Yeah, amazing, amazing person. And and then at the moment, then with um, of course the world currently it's still in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, do you think we're going to have a increase currently in arbitrations going forward over the next few years, or is it sort of remain fairly consistent? It's going to remain consistent. I mean, or or maybe even reduced because arbitrations are expensive. So if you can sort out your issues amicably and fairly without having to go through that process, that is far, far better for the parties. Like you and I are the last people that anybody needs to see yes. in construction. <laughs> like, and I've always thought that my role should just not exist. The, the project planners should be able to do it. You know, I, I, don't, I, I still to this day really truly believe that the role should not exist. But if it does exist, it should be done by someone like me <laughs> who <laughs> thinks it shouldn't exist. <laughs> yes. My greatest arbitration success story is a disruption analysis where we got complete agreement between the experts on the productivity levels, the measured mile periods, the losses of productivity, and the causes of loss of productivity. And it was all agreed in two joint reports and there was no need for individual reports and there was no cross-examination. There was a presentation to the tribunal. That's 100% agreement and awarded. That's, 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 the, that's the, the, that is the dream. Yeah. 
Well, but ultimately, it's in our interest to get um, agreements through joint statements and figures of figures because it, it does reduce actually the scope for you because as Amendon later on, it narrows down what the tribunal has left to deal with and it, it's kind of better for everybody. And near the claim value, I mean, it was what the experts had agreed was a disruption based on a measured mile analysis and a causation analysis. So I think having now ended there on, on probably the high notes of the... Um, <laughs> what we should all be doing and sadly sometimes fall short of but, but what we should be doing um, I'd like to say thank you very much uh, for your time today uh, it has been a pleasure to talk with you um, and I still remain very jealous of um, your summer versus our winter right now <laughs> <laughs> well I was freezing cold in August so just remember that <laughs> <laughs>